This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of the Evening Standard and Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times. It's half time. Some managers will be chucking teacups around. Others will be quietly confident. Who's going to make the top four? Who's going down? Now, let's start at the top. Chelsea are running away with it, aren't they, Tony? Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable, considering where they come from. I mean, in September, after the Liverpool game, I've never seen a manager more downbeat than Conte. Uh, certainly not a club like that. You know, he kept referring to finishing 10th last year and saying, you know, it was likely to happen again. And it looks as if that was going to come true when Arsenal beat them. But after Black September, they've turned it round. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's been a 15-point switch around with them and City in that time. And, that, you know, a full five games. And it's, it's absolutely amazing there. And while they haven't played that well at times, there's a relentlessness about them that's impressive. Mm, that consistency factor. OK, we all talk about 11 rings on the bounce. What are the constituent factors in that? Well, they've had fairly cons- you know, consistent selection. I think they've been, they've been OK with injuries. The level of desire, the level of, of commitment and team play from all of them, I think it's favoured them not having the problems out through signings or anything other than good coaching and regrouping as a squad. You can see that about them. And you can see they've got some brilliant players there. You know, For me, Eden Hazard was the best player in the Premier League until last season. Kante was the best player in the, in the league last season. And when you've got players of that quality with a team structure around and Diego Costa also playing as well as he's, he's doing, it's near on ideal. Mm. I, th- I think there was a moment uh, where Conte looked at the squad and he was he was obviously miffed at the buys in the summer because yeah. it never suited him at all. He looked at the squad and thought, this is never going to work. And he, he probably sulked for a week or two and then he thought, right, how can I make this work? And, th- I mean, th- going forward, you wonder whether it can be sustained because the, the back three with the wing-backs... I mean, Victor Moses and Marcus Alonso, logic tells you that someone's going to get at them yeah. and get behind them and run at those centre-earths. But at the moment, you know, they're, they're, they're flying. Kante, you know, a yeah. player that you know well, and obviously you spoke to him last week. What's your impression of him in terms of a, a man rather than a footballer? Because he's one of these players you know nothing about. 
He is, and having met him and spent half an hour with him last week, I'm not sure I know much more about him. He's, he's the most incredibly kind of unassuming guy, softly spoken, really, really humble. I mean, a lot of footballers are humble, especially from the kind of background he comes from, but he's, he takes it to a, a different level. But somebody that's really very much gently focused on, on winning. He is a proper winner and focused on his, on his teams uh, and someone that gets pleasure out of doing the jobs on the pitch rather than anything personal. Very shy when, whenever I sort of tried to pay him any kind of compliments. A very, very sort of simple guy, but with that shyness and that humbleness, there's definitely strength of character in there as well. And I find him fascinating. You know, to me, he's a throwback to the days when we didn't know so much about footballers. There wasn't that great exposure for them. We just knew them from what they did on the pitch, and, and I think Kante is one of them. Mm. One of the lessons of the first half of the season, Tony, is that if you look at that top six, mm. it is a top six almost now set in stone, isn't it? Mm. Is that the shape of things to come, that the Premier League is going to become even more elitist and the Leicesters of this world are going to get nowhere near them? Oh, I think there was an opportunity for the so-called second-class clubs, you know, in the uh, Premier League. Certainly with the new television deal and the amount of money they'll have available, good scouting and good management will take them a long way, you know, as we saw from Leicester. But it does smell a little bit of the Empire Strikes Back, doesn't it? The, you know, the, the big boys are imposing themselves. I think if people have ambition to crack those six, there's a chance for them. I think the likes of Everton going forward mm. with Mashiri's money, you know, and they're moving to a new stadium, they'll fancy themselves mm. getting into them. January is going to be key mm. for them. Isn't oh, it? January is crucial to them, and you know, they, they couldn't pick up anyone during the summer. Well, couldn't pick up the people he wanted during the summer. People were asking wages, which were outside their wage structure, and some of it was ridiculous. But you, know, you look at they're going to pick up the likes of Morgan Schneidlin. I think they're going to be considerably better going forward, and they have a chance to. Um, Certainly to, to disrupt things at the lower end of that top six. Mm, Tony mentions Schneiderlin. Mm. I'm puzzled why he's supposedly yeah. surplus to requirements at United. What's your sense of the way that club is evolving as the season progresses? Well, I mean, on, on Schneiderlin, I thought he was a very good player when he went there. But to me, he looks like just one of those that hasn't been able to deal with the stage. What the, a wow the, factor of it. Yeah, right? the grandeur of, of being at Manchester United. Yeah. And that happens with players at the, some of those... Those clubs. I think in general, United. It has flipped a bit. About a month ago, I was, I was looking at it, thinking, "Where's this going under Mourinho? What's he actually trying to do here?" Well, I think in the last month, a clearer sense of that has come about. Whether by luck or by judgment, he's found more of a formula. Michael Carrick being back in that team is, is extraordinarily important, and that that's yeah. a worry for United because he's 35 yeah. now, and and he might prove as difficult to replace as Roy Keane was. But having him back in the team, you know, Pogba gets the ball mm -hmm. a lot quicker in, in more forward areas uh, and then him and Zlatan you know when you <laughs> have players of that wages that you pay for they are going to be good players and those two combining is, is a fairly sort of powerful sort of combination so and Phil Jones being back is important so a few things have gone Mourinho's way in terms of you know these weren't solutions he looked at at the start of the season but now he's got them I think a clearer Mourinho like United is now emerging mm. What about the Rooney situation you know We've been hammering on at it for seems decades now, but another year, another challenge. Is he up to that challenge of actually become, remaining a relevant player? Well, the one thing Wayne Rooney is always up for is a challenge. You know, he's uh, he's one of those fellas who'll always fight, you know, till till the end. Uh, unfortunately, at United, I don't really see 
too much of a place for him going forward. The way they set up now and with Zlatan up forward, I, I don't think what he's doing is going to work for a Mourinho side the way, it's, mm. as, you know, as Jonathan said, it's panning out. So I think he'll, he'll, he'll fight again the, the first team and he'll be in the squad. But I really can't see him being a long-term, well, even a medium-term solution to what United yeah. needs up front. It looks like his future, if he has one there, it's as a bit part player, playing yeah. on the left on, on Saturday. He did a really good job for the team, might fill in when Mkhitaryan or, mm. or Mata or whatever is injured. It's a bit of a step down in status. It's isn't massive, it? isn't it? Massive. It's, it's whether he'll take that. I think once he breaks the goal-scoring record, then it might be time for him to reassess. Well, and, I mean, the problem is, he'd have to take such a huge cut in wages yeah. that... It, it's hard to see him going anywhere except China. Unless you look at it and you say you could go back to Everton. Mm. There's a nice sort of symmetry about that. And let's face it, he doesn't need the money, does he? Well, he doesn't need the money. But, you know, I mean, the, the question you've got to ask is would Koeman look at him going forward? If he's got Lukaku and can keep Lukaku, does he need Rooney? Mm. Talked about China. I think we've got to touch on mm. Oscar. Ridiculous money, yeah. you know, four hundred thousand pounds a week, sixty million pound transfer fee. Are we going to see more of these deals? Yeah, we are. I mean, I think Graziano Pelli's there on about two hundred and fifty, two ninety, I think. Two ninety, two ninety. He has seven for fifty-five uh, yeah. a year net. Yeah. So um, couldn't get that. Off he went to China. Yeah, mm. I think. I mean, I think these sums from what I my knowledge of, of, of the Chinese scene, they are still drops in the ocean to these Chinese corporations that, that own the football clubs with the more relaxed sort of tax regime as well, where they can pretty much just pay the players up front and not, not worry about the other element to it. I think we will see more of that migration, but I think more significantly we'll, we'll see more and more Chinese ownership. I know we've got quite a bit already, but I think that's going to continue uh, and we'll see more, more Chinese owners in the Premier League, I think. Mm. When you talk about big owners, mm. Manchester cities they were... You know, the last club for whom you know, expense was no object. Hmm. Where's that going, that project? It's a really crucial moment, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, they've got an agent squad, they've got a new manager, and the one thing they have got is a clear direction. The club was set up for Pep Guardiola. The whole organisation was designed for him to take it forward, and the idea that this would be a, a, a long-term thing, not a short-term hit. So if Pep does fail... In, you know, so it's in the, the, his first season or even the second season, I think they'll be fairly, if not relaxed with it, but content that there is a plan as long as there's some sort of momentum. But, you know, it's still a big job and the money no object size of it is less crucial than it was because of financial fair play uh, and, and also the Premier League television deal and giving, you know, uh, so-called lesser clubs really big budgets. So I think it's going to be it's going to be difficult for City. The thing about money, it's what you do with it. To mm. me, they've got a brilliant manager, brilliant structure, very poor recruitment. And until they start identifying better players and, and using that money, their muscle isn't really you know coming yeah. to bear. Well, recruitment's one of the big bugbears, isn't, isn't it? it? You know, it's mm. a, uh, there's a lot of lazy recruitment going on across, uh, even at the top of the yeah. Premier League. Mm. With City, what do they need to win a title? Well, on the pitch, they need some better centre-halves, I would say. And, and, and a, a, what they need is to replace that generation who are still their best players, Aguero, Silva, Yaya Toure and, and the absent company. I mean, they still haven't really improved on that. Apart from De Bruyne, they need a clearer identity because I think Guardiola, as he's learning, is chopping and changing a little bit now. And I, I've lost a bit of sight of, of, of where they are. But I just don't think all of that's going to come together this season. I think you're looking at a summer transfer window and, and Pep going into another yeah. season with a, with a 
you know, from an idea. It was quite interesting, you know, when they beat Arsenal just before Christmas, the uh, Pep made a comment about the fans. Oh, at least they didn't leave 15 minutes early like they usually do. <laughs> is there a cultural thing going on there? Is there, is there an issue with, you know, a tourist club? Well, to a certain extent, but I think that's the same for any of the big clubs in the Premier League. I think there is a perception that City haven't quite got the fan base that, say, United have. And, you know, we, we do see empty seats at the Etihad, you know, uh, even though City fans hate to have the attention drawn to them. And since the Kipaks went to the main road, City's never been the sort of place where you go and expect a hostile crowd. You'd expect mm. a huge atmosphere, and um, mm. and I think that, that's. I, th I think that the ground as well militates against that. So I think I think Pep's been a bit harsh, really. Mm. When we look at corporate football grounds, we always think of Arsenal, mm. don't we? Mm. Arsenal and Spurs. Is there something missing in North London? Yes, um, different things actually. If you could mm. combine the two teams, you'd have title, proper title contenders. Arsenal have just got that, and they, they would hate to admit it, but they've just got that mental, psychological flaw, as we saw last season when they were in position to win the league, took the selfies after beating Leicester, fell apart. This year, hit the top of the league and then lose two games 2 1 where they've led. And what they're not good at, they, they show bottle for me, they show character when they're almost not expected to do anything. Second mm. leg against Bayern Munich, you know, blah, blah, blah. Probably happened this season. They'll do really well in the second leg after losing mm. the first one too now. It's when they're in a winning position that the silverware's at hand. There's something missing in them. And with Spurs, I think they've got all the spirit and fight that you want, but probably just lack a little bit of creative quality. You know, mm. I got on the Arsenal bandwagon. I thought they'd show more fight this season than they had in the last 10 years of, yeah, uh, totally, uh, yeah. you know, the Wenger regime. They've got a great shape when he's got his, his yeah. first team out. And the number of late goals that they scored, you know, and, um, mm. to either win games or, or draw, I thought, you know, this this is a different Arsenal. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> instead of Black November, they had Black December. And the, two games from winning positions. But what is stunning in both of them is Ozil, the way he plays and his demeanour. I, you know, people on the, the television pundits were drawing attention to him walking around against Man City, and you'd expect expect better from him. But you know, he reminds me a little bit of Glenn Hoddle. He's very pleased with himself, and he's very pleased with his own <laughs> ability. But when you talk to all the old players from the uh, you know from the eighties, and you talk about Hoddle, they always go. We always knew we'd get space. You talk to the England players who, who played under him as well, exactly yeah, yeah. the same. <laughs> they always go, oh, you, you knew you'd get space with him. And you talk to one England player, asked him about uh, the Maradona goal and uh, yeah. the Azteca. I said, why don't you, why don't you bring him down? He said, oh, I was knackered. He said, it was, you know. I said, and you've been doing all Glenn Hoddle's running? I went, and he went, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The stab out here is, I saw him at the end of last season against West Brom, and he hit this ball, and I realised, like, as he hit it, he followed through, and it was like a golfer, and yeah. he just held his position held for a second. Yeah. And it was a great ball. Yeah. But, you know, instead of making the run to get, you know, he's, he's, he's just admiring himself. Stop it, son. We don't care about the assists. Score enough goals to bring the title to the Emirates. Yeah. Is he worth the money? Oh, he's worth it to, as a watch. Whether he's worth it as a winner, I'm not quite sure. I think Sanchez is more worth the money than he well, is. Well, without a doubt. If you had to make the choice, and they might have to with wages, then then probably Sanchez. Do you know, if, if I want to watch freestyle and footballers, I'll go to the circus. <laughs> I want to watch winners. <laughs> right. We look at the other end of the table. Poor old Hull. Mm. You can't see any way back for them, can you? 
Well, not really. I mean, they gave us a brief flicker of hope at the beginning of the season before Phelan was appointed. But then it's, you know, uh, and no one's at a club in crisis in the boardroom. There's no clear direction for the ownership. The fans are up in arms, and quite rightly so. And they haven't got enough players. They didn't have enough players when they started the season. And they won't have enough players after January. And so... Just being there is just getting there was an achievement, but they're going to go back down, and it needs a new owner in there to give the club a sense of purpose, a sense of identity that doesn't involve the word tigers, a direction. And it's a shame because you know it would have been lovely to see them stay up. Mm, because there was this great romantic rise, wasn't mm. there, from the from the old sort of third, fourth yeah. divisions? Mm. That what you know, the romance has ended. Yeah, and it was a strange one because you've got a local owner who in theory should understand mm. the area, mm. but he hasn't, he's just lost it yeah. completely. No, and, and, and him and the, you know, it, it's been a divergence, hasn't it? It's, it, mm. it, it, it? There was a point in time where he was right, you know, in tune with the fans and, and a bit of a local hero, and he's become entrenched and they've become entrenched. You know, they're in the right and he, he's not, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, especially at a club of that nature. Uh, we've seen it, seen it at Charlton. When, when an mm. owner starts mm. taking on the community and the fans that it represents, it's only going to go one way. It does affect the players. It does affect what happens oh, on the pitch. No doubt it does. And, and there is a fundamental problem is that if an owner buys a football club and thinks, this is just another business... Yeah. It's not. Where it is, it's a flag bearer for the community. It has uh, emotional contacts with the people who go and support the club. And if you break those bonds, it's a very dangerous game. Well, it's a community asset, as you say. Uh, Yeah, and and it should be protected as such. Yeah. A new owner would mean a new manager, wouldn't it? I I do feel sorry for uh, for Mickey Phelan. I do, because I think he's done as good a job as you could possibly do and he's probably masked a lot of failings that the owners mm. have, should be thankful for but he probably will pay with his job when mm. a new guy comes in and I'm not sure if anything's going to change really he might just have to hope that he'll get his next job on the back of what he's done mm. I mean he's enormous dignity a real football man sets up his teams nicely I think he's doing all he can mm. Mm. and Swansea another club you know at odds with itself you look at it it's no coincidence Gary Monk is getting leads up into the Championship promotion contenders. That was the worst day's work they ever did getting rid of him, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, but it was rumbling on for a while before yeah, that. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the, yeah. you know, he was being touted around for England, and yet all you're hearing from South Wales was that he was going to be sacked at Swansea. And I think when you get people in the boardroom who want to take responsibility for success and signings and the downgrade the manager's role in that, it's a dangerous situation. Mm. With Swansea, there were tinges of xenophobia about the criticism of, of Bob Bradley. Now, I take the point, came from the second division in France, did okay in Norway, was okay with the US national team, so therefore not experienced at the highest level. But has he been given you know, a bad deal here? I think he has. I mean, I think yeah. the CV is, it's not overwhelming, but it's a plausible enough CV for someone to get a Premier League job. I think there's a lot too much focus on how he looks, how he talks, his American phraseology. What the PK is. The PK is the road games. But who cares, really? Mm. You know, if we would indulge an Italian or a Spanish manager if they use their phrases, yeah. it's our attitude towards Americans and, and soccer. You know, yeah. he's just taken over a broken well, machine. We even indulge uh, British-born managers yeah. who speak English, who talk about <laughs> the project, and we're in yeah. a good moment. So, you know, it's um, the, the criticism of Bradley is unfair. I mean... 
I first come across him nearly 20 years ago. And he's a very clear thinker and a very good communicator. And he's not a chancer mm -hmm. that they've dropped in from America to... Yeah. But what he has got is a squad that's unbalanced, that is probably a little bit disillusioned with the way things have gone, and are perhaps not given their all, if you say gently. Um, and he's struggling, really struggling, to inject some confidence into them. The defending is horrendous. Yeah. And it seems to me that they've only got one player, that's Sigurdsson. Yeah, yeah, he, he stands head and shoulders above them, doesn't he? A lot, there's a lot of veterans there now, guys who are you know, on, on a last paycheck, a Premier League paycheck. It's a horrible cocktail. A, a bit mm. like, you know, they are a club again who that sort of phalanx of really good players that took them up are still probably the best characters they've got. But they're just too old now, the Britons and the, the Rangels losing Williams was a big miss. Mm. I just think they've generally lost their way. You look at that squad, you're not quite sure what it is. And you think Swansea had this clear style of play. You now look at them, you're not sure what that is either. No, no one wants to take responsibility there. They're all... Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Now, there is a theme emerging here. If you look at Sunderland, Ellis Short wants to get out. Uh -huh. 170 million, we're told, is a sort of an asking price. David Morris has done well in, you know, within the perspective of that club, but he's got no money in January. No. And mm -hmm. the owner wanting to sell and disengaging is the worst thing to happen to that club because mm -hmm. it, it, it reminds me of Randy Lerner at Aston Villa. And again, that filters into a culture when you know the guy in overall charge actually can't be bothered with it anymore. There's a problem there. I think David has got the bit between his teeth now. Very difficult beginning there. Uh, he's found a team. You know, he, he's even using people like Anna Chaby who, mm. you know, who would have thought that? But he's got a structure. He's got a bit of spirit going. And I think they might just be okay on the back of some good pros and, and a good manager there. But, you know, as he predicted at the start of the season, it's going to be a pretty gruesome struggle either way. It's, it's going to be touch and go because, yeah. again, there's parallels with Villa. Yeah. Because under the, uh, the other short ownership, the recruitment was a complete not a mess. Appalling, yeah. and, and he consistently backed plans that were, um, how should we put it, <laughs> weren't very good let's just say like you know it's a, and the managers who have been left holding the baby yeah. look like they're failing really badly but actually they're getting more out of and, that, that squad than they should have and they, Sam last year and yeah. uh, and they know. pay a lot of money there that's that's one of the problems they've had historically with recruitment they mm. call it the Sunderland tax to get mm. people to go there yeah. they pay that little bit extra but what that creates is players who know that the money they're on is the best they're ever going to get in their mm. career and they don't want to move, and that, 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 that again filters mm. into attitude. Mm. Mm. If we're talking then of Sunderland maybe edging away, which club is sleepwalking to disaster? At the moment, Palace are. Yeah, I agree I, with that. I, I, think, I think they're going to change manager. I mean, mm. I, you know, I, I, I like Alan Pardew a lot, and I don't want to sort of you know, predict anyone's doom, but the soundings that you hear aren't, aren't oh, very I, good for him. I, I don't think it's predicting doom. I mean, Everyone talks about 2016 being a bad year. For Crystal Palace and Alan Purdue, it's, it's been the worst. Well, statistically, the worst record yeah. Yeah. of all 92 clubs. You know, on New Year's Day last year, they were fifth in the Premier League mm. and talking about Champions League, you know, it's there. Uh, and suddenly they, they just mm. went down the path. Mm. And you go to see them and you can see why they're, they're uncertain in defence. I do have a little bit of sympathy mm. for Purdue. Yeah. You can, they, they drop, whenever they're in the lead, they drop back and they drop they back do. and invite people in. Yeah. And he's waving them up the yeah. pitch. But there's no confidence there. Yeah, I think they will change manager. Mm. They've got Ben Teke, they've got Zaha, they've got Scott Dan at the back, they've got some decent players. It's Scott Dan's regressed though, hasn't he? Yeah, he's had yeah. A poor run. yeah, he has. He has. But there's a good player in there mm. for sure. But, but, but the thing, 
is what keeps the sides up is not Scott Dan's of the Wales, it's the pace and yeah, the goals. It's the scorers, and yeah. they've got both. They do. And th they should be. They should easily be mid table. They should be in the top half of the table. They need Kabai to wake up as well. I mean, yeah, that's a player that's of, of the class that could, could keep them up. But if they're going to be okay, I look at a couple of teams. I think Watford might just be the one. You know, there's usually a team that, that sinks a bit. They've lost five of the last seven mm. games. They're not playing badly or anything, but there just seems to be a little edge lacking there. And I have got question marks about the manager and his experience mm. of the league and how good he really is. So I just wonder if they might be the ones. And who the get strikers who were so good last year yeah. have dropped off. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, Igalo's sort of mm. disappeared off the radar, hasn't yeah. he? And and um, and Dini isn't quite. Fire and he did. Is that the weakness of this whole business plan? You know, it's all very well to ship in mm. Carlos Kickerball yeah. here and Carlos Kickerball there, but there's no cohesive shape or identity, and that's got to get to them in the end. That's what's getting tested now, isn't it? That's mm. what will be tested if they get drawn into the relegation battle. And Dini hasn't been playing well, but actually, he's enormously important to that club. Oh, yeah. Because if you lose him, you lose that. that, mm. that, that I think he's the best captain in the Premier League. Yeah. Mm. What, he, what he does for that team. Yeah. You know, now if he, you take him out and you really are looking at a collection of, mm. I don't want to use the word mercenaries, but, you know, guys with no identity. Well, they're not with here the for club. their health, are they? Let's put it Yeah. <laughs> Other clubs, um, West Ham, all over the road, aren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, and that's another place where we could see a change in manager. It wouldn't take uh, mm. another long run of games to cause them to act. I mean, before Christmas, they got themselves a couple of 1-0 wins against teams that they should beat at home. They were crucial. You know, so to beating Burnley at home was a big, big deal for them. Had those two home games gone wrong, then you could have seen them you know, drop the axe on Billich now. There is a great sense that what Billich did last year that worked so well isn't working with the players now. And he needs to show us he's got a change of tone, a change mm -hmm. of method, and essentially just shouting at people doesn't always work. It starts to wash over their heads. Mm. You've got to instill them with a belief. So the manager, especially at the bottom end of the mm. table, is critical. Yeah. Now, that's why I think Burnley will stay up, Sean Dyche. And I, I agree with you. He was a very good manager to start with, and he's an even better manager now he's had experience in the Premier League. And I think they've just got a little bit more savvy because of him. They'll pick up their home points. Away from home, they've been dreadful, but a few other teams have been dreadful too. I think they'll pick up enough home points. They've got a fantastic spirit there. They've got some really good pros. They were close last time with a mm. score that doesn't compared to this one. So I think they'll grind it and they'll just have enough. Yeah, if they go down, it won't be Dyche's fault. No. It'll be the owners who will be happy to be a, a bounced up and down club yeah. and happy to take the money and not reinvest it. So it's a uh, Dyche. If they do go down, I'm sure we'll move on to better things fairly quickly. Mm. So it's make your mind up time, chaps. Top four, bottom three, please. A top four. I still think there's going to be lots of changes in there. I think uh, people drop points and they'll, they'll beat each other. I think Arsenal will have a revival. I'm going to go for Arsenal. I'm going to say uh, Chelsea in second, Man City in third, Liverpool fourth. Wow. So, well, I've learned two things. Never predict Arsenal for the title. <laughs> I never predict them to drop out of the top four either. Yeah, so, yeah. So I'm going to go for Chelsea, Liverpool. I think they're the two outstanding teams, Arsenal. And I think United are going to just come in there ahead of City and, and Spurs in fourth. Right. Well, I had Chelsea a close second to City at the start of the season. I was wrong. Chelsea champions, followed by Liverpool, City and Arsenal. Now, what about a drop? Oh, I think all of Devon Berries. Uh, I can see Swansea going down with them. 
And it depends on when they get rid of Purdue, I think Palace are gone. Yeah. Well, Hull and Swansea are down. Um, depending on who Palace get as manager, I think they might just keep them up. I've got some idea. Watford. Hull, Swansea and Palace. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,